Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We get the opportunity to begin a new series today, looking at um, Paul's epistle, second epistle to the church of Corinth, at least the second one that we have recorded. There are debates whether there were others as well, but this is the second one we have um, in, our, in our Bible. And as a preface, as we go into this, as we set the stage for this, um, in 1981, Rabbi Harold Kushner, and I have this on your sermon note sheet, wrote a, uh, a book um, that became a, a bestseller on a lot of the like New York Times and different um, um, book lists and stuff like that, is When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And um, sadly, in the book, um, Rabbi Kushner um, states, he debilitates God, and he states that um, God doesn't cause any of the afflictions that we, we, we see today. But then, worse than that, God is powerless to do anything about it. And, um, and so, therefore, you have to transform your theology now to go along with it, because he's not willing to get rid of God. He just now has a, a weak God um, that can't do it. And so, there were a lot of sad things about that book. Um, it, you know, who, who defines who are the righteous, who are the good? I mean, reality is we know that there is none that is good, no, not one. There's none that are righteous, right? That all have fallen short into the glory of God. And so the reality is that that mood is point by itself. But, um, but as well, it brought up the... the, the what I say? Oh, yeah, well, spoonerism and words. Anyways, so <clears throat> that mood is point. Anyways, so <laughs> I'll keep to it. Anyway, the point is mute. Anyways, um, but it did bring up the, 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 the conversation, um, which became a very um, important debate in the theological realms, and that is why do good things happen to... Or good things. Yeah, actually, that's a really... That's a, see, that, that, that actually is a Freudian, because that's exactly how I... Why do good things happen to bad people? It's really the, the question we need to be asking, because that's who we are. But why do bad things happen to, quote-unquote, good people? We know, Romans 8.28, we love to quote it. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. And so we, we wonder, why do bad things seem to happen? Why do we, as believers, as the children of God, who are joint heirs with Christ, go through bad things? Why don't we have a buy on this thing? You know, that you come to know Jesus as your Savior, you become an heir, you become a child of God, therefore, you put this umbrella over us, you know, and we don't, nothing bad happens to us. But we have to ask that question, we have to answer it. And so there are a lot of people who then get struggle with this, the will of God, and they can't answer the question. And yet God has a whole lot in his word about this. In fact, he had Paul write an entire letter to the church of Corinth on this subject. And that's the book that we're going to be looking at, the letter that we're going to be reading, um, taking clearly a couple months of going through Paul's letter here. But in Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, he deals specifically with this topic of affliction, using many illustrations from his own life, but then also looking at illustrations from the, the life, the events of the church of Corinth. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time today looking at the background of Corinth, 
um, we went through, we studied First Corinthians a few. Uh, a couple years ago, and I may come back to that in a, a week or two from now and do a little bit of the background on the city of Corinth. But just to suffice it for right now, Corinth was sat at the crossroads, um, north, south, east, west of the world at that time. There was the, they had what they called the Ismathean Games that went on in Corinth. Um, the Ismathean Games were like what we used to have as the Goodwill Games that were every other four years from the Olympics. Now we've divided the Olympics up so that this year we'll have the Summer Olympics, and then two years from now we'll have the Winter Olympics. It used to be that you had the Winter and the Summer Olympics all in the same year. The problem with that is if you had, um, um, for example, like Rio de Janeiro having the Summer Olympics, then they would be at the same time as the Winter Olympics, and so that's how they, they kind of did that. But years ago we had the Goodwill Games, do you remember, that kind of offset the, 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 the Olympics? And so the Ismathean Games were the same. And so Corinth was, was a very important place. It was a very large hodgepodge, if you would, of society. Yet, it was also then a place where um, the battles of Christianity versus the world would play out. And we saw a lot of those as we went through our study of Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. Um, And so, living out our faith in the crossroads um, of, of culture. And so, this one, though, he's going to come back to them now because life's going to start getting a little bit tough right now. Life as a Christian is going to, in the, in the Roman world, isn't going to be a pleasant experience. And, and Paul's kind of coming to, to encourage them in the midst of all this. So he's going to deal with this concept of affliction, but he's going to be dealing with this concept of encouragement. Now, as we go into this, there are four primary key words that we're not going to go over. Um, right now, today we'll look at two of them, but there's the, the concept of afflictions, there's a the concept of, of encouragement, there's the concept of boasting, and the concept of testing um, that, that we'll see as we go through it. And Paul weaves all four of these things together because they, they are interrelated. And so I, um, I started to look at this as far as you know, wanting to do this whole concept of affliction at one time, but then as I as I studied this out again and again and again, I said, "Man, I'm going to have to go through seven chapters at least because once we pass verse seven, we're in this greater context." And so I'm not quite sure how I'm going to play this out next week um, as we get in because we're going to get into Paul and his afflictions and stuff like that. But today we're going to look at Paul's thesis statement. You know that as you you write a letter or you write a, a paper. Generally, at the beginning of the paper, you, you have this summary statement, if you would, of what you're writing about and what you're going to be trying to prove, what you're going to try. And that's exactly what happens here in, in chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, which Chuck just read, okay? That Paul is, is presenting his, his thesis statement. And the importance of this is to show us that how important it is for us to <coughs> have a biblical understanding of, first of all, the term affliction by itself. We don't really comprehend what affliction really is. I don't think. And so what I want to do is look at this biblically first, okay? This is the, the, the detail section. This message is a little bit more um, technical in some parts. Um, and so and I, didn't, I listened to David's message this week and how he said back on December 15th that he had a lot of technical stuff and there was a rewrite and got rid of a lot of that. I, I didn't rewrite. I left it in. Anyways... <laughs> Um, and so I meant to actually put the, the English um, transliteration of those words so you can see it, but everybody should know what that first Greek letter is, right? That's a what? 
That's a theta. Good. Okay. If you had any math at all, you know what a theta is. So it's a theta is th. Okay. And so everything else looks like it is as an L, as an I, a B, and then the omega makes a what? An O sound. So that's pretty simple. That's thlebo. Thlebo. Okay. It's not very often that we put an L after our ths. Okay. Thlebo. And it's a verb. But you can see that a lot of times in the Greek and the Hebrew, they have um, matching words. One that's a verb and one that's a, a noun. Okay. And so thlipsis. Is the, uh, is the noun side of it. And interestingly, the, the, the word thlebo really is, literally means to crowd or to press or to throng, okay? And so if you then bring that into the noun, the idea then is to feel what? Pressed, thronged, or crowded, okay? So have you ever been in a large crowd that's really being pushed I don't think any of us has been ever in one that's really, 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 really bad. Um, and not to bring up um, bad feelings and stuff like that, but I remember growing up, there was a, a lot of um, codes changed after this. There was a, um, a concert in Cincinnati. I can't remember exactly now who was playing. The Who. The who. Good, okay. Yeah. No, that's I should have said Gerald. Who was it? And, and, yeah, it was The Who. And... Um, and so, but that was, my, that was my genre back then, so, I mean, it would have been something I, I knew of. But anyways, there was a stampede to get out of the, the auditorium, but the doors opened inward and not outward. Now, in all commercial buildings, our, our ex, exit doors all open outward for this reason. It's that primary reason. And there's... If you have about more than 100 people, then we'd have to have a push bar on it as well so that you don't have to turn it. You just come up and you push it. Codes change because of this event. Because at that moment, hundreds and thousands of people were crushed to death because the crowds behind kept pressing in on them to get out. And they couldn't get out because they couldn't open the doors because the crowd was pressing. And so they were scrunched and they were killed by the pressing. That's what it means to have pressure. That's the pressure that's there, the thronging that's there. So with that in mind, I want us to look at some of the usages of it. So let's get our Bibles out, turn to Matthew chapter 7, okay? Turn to Matthew 7. Somebody want to read verses 13 and 14? I read real loud. Not all at one time. Okay. What word do you think it is? <coughs> Without looking at any. Uh... Anybody have an idea? What our word thlebos there or thlipsis? It's not narrow, but that's good, because that's going to help define it for us. It's hard, okay? But what helps us to define what the word means in this area is the fact that the, the way is narrow, okay? So the other way is wide, which means it's like yours had the word easy in it, okay? It, right, well, yeah, there's no pressing. There's, you, know, you just walk leisurely. You can do whatever you want to do. But the way to life... For the kingdom of God is pressing. Okay? It's like a funnel, if you would, okay? So it kind of gives us the idea there, okay? All right? Uh, Mark 
or Matthew 13, verse 20 and 21. Okay, in the parable of the, the sower and the seed, this is the uh, part of the description of it that Jesus gives us. Anybody want to read verse 20 21? And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Wait, wait, Matthew 13. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in Mark. Yeah, you are. I was going to say that's the end times. We'll get to there in a little bit. <laughs> but from Matthew. Matthew 13, somebody else have that? But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Okay, so our word there is tribulation. Okay, philipsis. And so, in that then, what, what is philipsis, affliction, tribulation likened to? Persecution, okay? Persecution, okay? And the word there um, literally means then to be persecuted, okay? So we have there, and what happens then in the midst of that philipsis, in that affliction for that individual who has no root? Ah, he's scandalized, okay? He stumbles. Scandalizo is the Greek word. And so scandalizo, you hear it? It's, he's scandalized, if you would, okay? He stumbles, he falls, okay? Because he had no root, all right? So then we want to go to Matthew 24, Okay, we have three places, verse 9 and 10, then 21 and 29. Okay, someone want to read Matthew 24, verse 9 and 10? Real loud, Deb. You're good, go ahead, good. You got a guess? Which word is it? Nope. Well, tribulation in yours. Hers, she said, persecuted. Yeah. And so, which is interesting because that's exactly what we just saw, the concept of persecuted. In fact, we're going to have a little bit more definition with this tribulation, right? Because this tribulation here is, is defined by how? What are they going to do? They're going to kill you. Ouch. So, so our affliction started with just a little bit of a, a narrow way, you know, kind of a pressing, right? And then all of a sudden, the next time we see it being used, it's persecution. The next time we see it used, it's what? It's, this isn't getting good, is it? No. So afflictions aren't getting good, okay? And so, um, in, at that point, when all that happens, we're told, verse 10, that many will be offended or scandalized and will betray one another, okay? So also part of the affliction is that there's going to be betrayal that's going to go on as well, and people are going to hate you, okay? If you, don't, if you don't turn away, then you'll be killed. And if you're killed, the other ones don't matter anymore. But anyways, but if you're not killed, then you're going to be betrayed, and you're going to be hated, okay? All right, verse 21. Who wants to read that? For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. Okay, in verse 29. Okay, so in the end times, Jesus in Matthew 24 is giving a conversation about the end times, and we could read all the way from 21 to 29, but um, that's extraneous. The point is that in the end times, 
the affliction, the tribulation, the thipsis of that day is going to be greater than it ever has been. Okay? There are a lot of people, dispensationally, who would like to say that this, the church won't go through that. I think they're wrong. Um, you can go through the series in Revelation. Um, I think it occurs, the, the rapture of the church, I believe in a rapture, I'm a pre-trib rapture guy, but I believe that that happens in Revelation 10, that the, that the quote-unquote what is referred to as the tribulation period, which I think is a bad term, shouldn't be called the tribulation period, okay? It should actually be called the final week of Daniel's vision. That's what it is. It's the 70th week, okay? And so that begins in, in, in Revelation chapter 11. So Jesus says that, that, that it's going to be so bad that if it was possible, even the very elect could be deceived. Okay? And so that tells me that the elect potentially are what? Still there. Okay? So, so there's a part that I need to understand that afflictions aren't going to get any better. There's a lot of people out there in the Christian realm who teach what they call post-millennialism, and that is the world's going to get better and better and better, and that we're going to make this into a Christian world, and then Jesus will come and raise and, and, and establish the kingdom. That's not, I know, a lot of you are looking like, what? It's, I know, but that's not what the Bible teaches, but that's what they want to believe, okay? Because they get rid of, again, Israel, and the church becomes Israel, and uh, it changes everything, okay? And so if you just read the Bible for how it's stated, it's not that way at all, okay? So that's Matthew, Mark, chapter 3, verse 9, okay? I'll go ahead and start reading for time. It says, So Jesus told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they, that is the crowd, should crush him. Okay? So again, the concept of then coming upon him. Okay? So he avoided that. John 16. Jesus again talking about um, the end times here. In John 16, he says, A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Anybody want to take a guess at the word? Anguish. Good. I was waiting to see if anybody would say labor. But it's the anguish side of it, okay? That the labor is there, but in the, you women know, okay? I mean, I've never had a baby, but I've been there with Marsha. I mean, I know that there's that, that point where it's, oh, it's kind of like nice. Oh, I'm getting ready to have a baby. Oh, this is really nice. And then all of a sudden it goes, ooh. Ooh, and then all of a sudden it's what? Affliction. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. That's exactly right, okay? But then afterwards, it's all good, okay? But it's that moment of the transitional labor where there's a lot of pressure that's going on, and, and it's, it's anguish. It's, it's affliction, okay? Good word, word, word example there, word, word uh, picture. Still John 16, verse 32 and 33. We're going to come back to that verse a little bit later on and talk about that a little bit more. But Jesus gives us a promise, doesn't he? Okay? We'll come back to that at the end of the message. Okay? And so let's move on. Okay? Acts 7, 9 to 11. Okay? This is Stephen's um, message um, just before he gets stoned. And in ver beginning in verse 9, we read, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all of the land of Egypt, 
in Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. Okay? Anybody guess? Trouble. And it happens twice. Okay? The troubles of Stephen and the troubles of Egypt are both flipsis. Okay? And so, what do we know about what happened? It's not Stephen, Joseph. What, what about Joseph? He was what? He was sold by his brothers. Okay? That kind of sounds what Jesus was talking about, how they're going to betray you and hate you and all that kind of stuff, right? So, we got a good picture of that from Joseph's day, right? And then what else happened? He was not only sold, but then he was sold as a slave, and he goes to Egypt, and he, and he serves as a slave, right? And then while he's serving as a slave, and he's doing right, and seeking to glorify God, what happens? He gets accused by Potiphar's wife, accused wrongfully by Potiphar's wife, right? And then he's thrown into, into prison, into jail, and he interprets the dreams, and he says, remember me when you go, and he's what? Forgotten, okay? So again, these are the thlipsis, these are the afflictions of Joseph, and so this is the illustration Again, the idea is for us to understand biblically what is this word that we're going to be studying about, okay? Um, and then Egypt. A famine and great trouble came on over all the land of Egypt. There was famine. That was physical. So this has nothing to do with um, somebody hating me, but rather this is an affliction that is just what? Widespread. There's a, there's a famine that's there. What is the result of famine? Hunger and death, okay? Okay. So there's a lot of things that come as a, as a result of that, okay? Chapter um, 11, verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. Okay, so this they were scattered after the afflictions or the persecution. This goes back to eight, chapter 8, verse 1, where the church was scattered uh, because of persecution, okay? So again, persecution. Then finally, um, yeah, we'll, we'll end it there, okay? So we have this concept then of what afflictions are, okay? Now, knowing this, building upon us, oh yeah, Second Corinthians, I forgot. You can look at these, um, and we're going to be looking at these over the, um, the next weeks. But again, you can see that this is going to occur a lot of times, um, that in, in Paul's writing here, okay, this concept of affliction is going to occur over and over and over again, okay? So you can look at those. But what we want to look at and where we want to transition to here is the purpose of the affliction. And so we understand affliction. That's pressing, okay? That's the, 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 the concept. And, and the reality is that as the world looks through afflictions, note before that it was all what? Gray. Okay, and um, I am the, the author of this drawing um, decided that I should have kept the original was a was a grimace face, and I said no, no, I want the face to change to be one of contentment. But I should have kept the first one as grimaced because that's exactly how the world looks at afflictions. But the reality is, what well, we're going to find out that as a believer, as a um, one who is looking at the true biblical understanding of what afflictions are, it's not to be avoided; rather, it's to be embraced. Okay, so. Through afflictions of this world, we have the opportunity to receive the encouragement of God. So, back in 2 Corinthians now, look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. When we go through, in that word tribulation there, is the word affliction. Okay, that's our word, phlipsis, okay? So when we go through these slipsis, 
it gives us the opportunity to receive the encouragement of God. Okay? God is the God of all encouragement. So again, a little bit more Greek here. Parakaleo and parakalesis. Okay? Now, there's another one that goes with parakaleo and parakalesis. Anybody know what it is? I bet you do. Paraclete. Okay? That only occurs four times, but every time the paraclete is the Holy Spirit. Okay? So he's the giver of this. Okay? But the word parakaleo, okay, is literally to call alongside. Para, okay, like paragraph, okay, is the, the so writing alongside or writing alongside. Okay, so the para means alongside. And then kaleo is to call. So literally this word is a combination, okay, and it means to call alongside. Okay? For whatever reason. I'm walking along, and I see Brian. And I say, Brian, hey, come here. Now, I may be saying, hey, come here, to what? Encourage him. I may be calling him up alongside me to what? Kick him in the butt. Okay? To exhort him, to challenge him, to, to, to inspire him to go further. To comfort, to console, probably. That's possibility as well. But the primary meanings of this word literally is to encourage. Encourage or potentially exhort. Okay? Now, if you have the New King James, okay, or King James, you're going to see console and comfort almost entirely through this. But I want to encourage you that really the word really means to put courage into. To encourage. That's literally what it means to. And we're going to see that again toward the end here, okay? That, that God's word is real, okay? And so God then comes, and you see how many uses it is, okay? That Paul uses this, this, these words, okay, 81 times in 70 verses. 29 of those times, 21 of those verses are all here in 2 Corinthians. So what does that kind of tell you? This epistle's got a lot about encouragement going on, okay? So again, it's all about the encouragement in the face of the trials and tribulations that we're going to go through, okay? And so, so he's the God of all encouragement, and he encourages us in all, all tribulation. Now, um, we'll talk about this verse later, but Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after him, he needs, needs to deny himself, then do what? Take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice, he doesn't say, take up my cross. You need to take up your cross. Each of you probably have some sort of afflictions going on in your life. There is no temptation, no troublesome situations overtaking you, but such is common to men. Okay? Now, the reality is then, so, but each of our afflictions may be a little bit different. Some of you may have family afflictions, and I'm not talking about just in your home, it could be in your home, but it may be wider spread into your, your mothers and fathers, into your siblings, into your whatevers, and, and so you have these afflictions that go on. Okay? It may be that you have physical afflictions that are going on in your body. Okay? As I get older, the reality is, the more I sense, more what? Physical afflictions, you know? I mean, it wasn't, I was 1942, no, it wasn't alive in 1942. It was when I was 42 that I began to have the understanding of the affliction of um, eyes that I can't see. Make sense? That was an awful moment when I, that, that also I needed to have reading glasses. And it was a worse moment when I was in Canada and I and I put on somebody else's reading glasses because they threw mine in the, in the river. Anyways, and, and I put them on and I'll go around, oh, no, these will work. Because, you know, how am I going to teach without glasses, right? I mean, because I couldn't even see my own. That's when I started doing bigger things. Anyways, um, and, and 
then I looked at the writing, and I still couldn't read the writing. That's when I realized that not only was I reading challenged, I was also everywhere else challenged with my, my visual. And bifocals became a, a, a reality in my life. Anyways, so that's just a physical affliction. It may be a small one. Many people in the world have this affliction, but it's still a what? It's an affliction. I'd rather walk around without glasses. Does it make sense? Okay, but but I have to put them on. Either that, or I have to wear contacts, and I don't want to put. I, I don't like putting my finger in my eye. That just you guys that work on. I don't get it. I say again. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I mean that putting my point. I mean yeah, I poke myself. Somebody's like that's stupid. Anyways, so I wear glasses. Okay, so but there are afflictions, and we have all different kind of afflictions. But you know what's so cool is God says that He is the one who encourages us in every single one of those. All different kinds of afflictions. It doesn't take God by surprise. He's there to put courage into you. Because there is no troublesome situation that's overtaken you, but such is coming to men. But God will not allow you to be troubled beyond what you are able to bear, but will with the temptation, the troublesome situation, also make a way to escape. He will put the courage into you to be able to do these things. You can. You can. Do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can't do all things by yourself. You will fail. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If he allows it into your life, this is the key. This is totally opposite of Rabbi Kushner. If God allows it into your life, he's going to give you the courage and strength to go through it. If you look to Him. If you look to Him. If you're not looking to Him, who are you looking to? Yourself or the world? You're reading Rabbi Kushner's book, and Rabbi Kushner tells you, forget it, it's done. Make the best of it. There's no hope. There is hope. And it comes from the God of all encouragement. The God of all paraclesis. Because he's promised to encourage us in all. This is probably the most important part here, though, as we move on to it. There in verse 4, and I'll start from the beginning of it. Who comforts us in all our tribulation, that, in order that, should be, we may be able to encourage those who are in any philipsis, with the encouragement which we ourselves are encouraged by God. What is the purpose? The purpose is that we receive encouragement from God, but that's short-sighted. That's, that's cool. But the reality is that that all happens in order that we might be the encouragement to those in the world who are going through the lift as well, going through the afflictions that are out there, that we can say, I know how you feel. And let me tell you where the hope resides. But if I'm not looking to Christ, if I'm not looking to God, then I'm floundering just like the world is. And I have no hope. But when I turn to Him, and I see that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I do rise, if you would, by the grace of God, to the challenge, people in the world look at us and they say, what? How do they do that? 
That makes no, makes no sense. And that's where people who have lost a loved one can at that moment, in their grief, in their grief, it doesn't mean we don't grieve, that within their grief they can turn to Christ and say, but let me show you the one to whom gives me strength and courage. It doesn't eliminate the fact that I'm hungering if I'm in the middle of a famine. I just know that God has a what? A bigger purpose. He's got a plan in the midst of this famine. And that famine may be food, that famine may be encouragement, that famine may be a lot of things in my life. But God has a plan for allowing it into my life. Because I know, I know, I know, we know, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestine that they may be conformed to the image of His Son. Do you get it? That I can reveal Jesus to those who are in the world. That as the world goes through the afflictions, the afflictions of life, the afflictions in this world, I can come out alongside them. I can say, hey, let me give you the encouragement that I've received. Dude, if you're looking at this world for... Don't read Rabbi Kushner's book. It's going to be a downer. Don't read anything that I means that... You know, you need to go to God. Because He's got the answers. And I can tell you the different times in my life. And I can tell you the different times in my life. I can tell you when Bob looked to Christ and when Bob looked to the world. Or to himself. I can tell you the time I was ready to commit spiritual suicide. I was ready to get rid of my... Just leave my family, leave ministry, leave everything. I was ready to go. And I cried out to God. I said, God, if you don't get me out of here, my life is destroyed. A week and a half later, I was gone. sent me to St. Louis. God answers those things. He gave me an escape route. Does it make sense? Because I wasn't able to handle. He knew I could handle it, but apparently Bob didn't think so because Bob was looking at the wrong person. But God was still faithful in the midst of it. I can tell you about times when I've been in that pressing moment doing home improvement jobs. I was a duck out of water. I mean, I don't do home improvement. I'm a computer guy. But God set me up a home improvement business. That makes no sense, God. This, I mean, it makes totally no sense. And here I am in the middle of somebody's house doing work for them, and I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. Did I know that? No, no, I didn't tell I, 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 I don't preach these until afterwards. And I'm praying. Yeah, you probably did, actually. And, 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 and I'm praying in the midst of this thing. Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, I don't... I have no clue what's happening here. What, what do I need to do? And to watch God give me an answer. Or a phone call comes in. Or however it plays out. It's just an amazing thing to watch how God answers those things. Those are pressing moments. Anxious moments. When you don't know what you're going to do. I can tell you the times when my, my checkbook got down to less than 100 bucks. And for a guy who believes in budgeting, that's not a, a good moment. Because I'm totally out of control. That's when I forgot 
Well, I wasn't going to go there, Steve. No, no. But but back in the early days of the church, when we first planted the church, I got two hundred dollars a month or something like that, and I had five different jobs. None of them paid well, and there were times when I just didn't know what was going to happen, how it was going to play out. But in every single time, if I focused on Bob. There was anxiety and everything else. But when I cried out to God, in the midst of that, God, the God of all comfort, the God of all encouragement was ready. He was standing there. Just like, Bob, Bob, help, Bob, I'm here. Whack, I'm here. I'm calling you alongside. Bob, come here. And I'm too busy looking at the world. But then I set my mind on things above, and I looked at him who is true, and what happens? I can tell you about the day I got a $6,000 check in my mailbox. Four hours after praying, writing it, I can still go back to that day and show you my, because I wrote my prayer down, that God, I need to be able to get out of some of, my, some of this debt. I mean, I need more time for ministry. I don't know how to get there. And all of a sudden, there's a check for $6,000 that paid off my 15-passenger van. It was sent a week and a half before I ever prayed. It came from Europe. I called the people the next day, the next morning, and the woman quoted my quiet time journal. She said, we had an inheritance, and we were praying what we should do with it. And God impressed upon our heart that you needed more time for ministry and needed to pay off one of your debts. Do you get it? God has proven himself over and over and over and over and over. I can tell you by the time I got another check in the mail. I didn't know how I was going to pay for my son's braces. Not this one, but, but Matthew. The check came in. And it was, I mean, I'm talking about it. It wasn't an exact, like, like zero, zero. It was kind of a weird check. Anyways, but the check came in, and it was exactly like 25 cents more than when we tithed off it. We had 25 cents more than what we needed to pay off the braces. Okay, I'm, this is not health and wealth. This is not name and claim and stuff. I'm just the God of all comfort, the God of all encouragement is there. If we would just look to Him. Gerald, you've told me over and over, I'm not going to pick on just you, but just how life has changed now from what it was five years ago. And the difference is. Yeah. Trusting in the Lord, yeah. I mean, I can tell you just real quick, like last week, I got four or five people I don't even know probably work on, want to work on their cars. I'm like, wow. It comes out of nowhere. Isn't that amazing? And, and God, God can do this thing. If you just look to Him for it. It's an instrument of evangelism to the lost. People cannot see God, but they can see you. So Matthew 5, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set upon the hill, what? Cannot, cannot be hid. Let your light so shine that others may observe your what? Good works. And then what? Glorify your Father. Because they'll know where they come from because why? You said so. You told them this is how this happens. I can't do this on my own. I'm just a mirror reflecting the light to you. I'm the moon. I mean, you realize the moon has no light. All the moon does is what? Reflects the sun. That's all we do. 
That's all we're supposed to do. But the more, so you got the full moon and you got the new moon, right? What's the difference between a full moon and a new moon? Keep going. No, no, where it is. We're not in front, we're not in between it. No, no. Think about that. The new moon we are in between, and so the, the moon gets no reflection. The world the world has come between the moon and the sun. Think about that. When we have a full view of the sun, so the sun has to be able to come and play on the moon to give us a full moon. When we have a full view of the sun, what does my life look like? You get a full reflection. When I allow the, the more and more I allow the world to come between me and the sun, S-O-N, what happens? The less and less of a light you get. Do you track with that? In this world, then, we are going to see tribulation. It's also then an instrument of education to the edification, not education, edification to the saints. So we see then, <clears throat> continuing on in verse 5 and 6, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our encouragement also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, philepsis, it is for your encouragement and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer, or if we are encouraged, it is for your encouragement and salvation. Now, I'm not going to get into the word pasca and paschema, um, that's the words for suffering there, but those words are used a lot as well. The concept is the afflictions, the sufferings is, then, then a, is, a, is a, a description of the afflictions. And they, they, that words, suffering and sufferings, um, come throughout 2 Corinthians as well. A lot of different terms to describe our afflictions throughout there. But the reality then is, what Paul says, is not only is it for just me just to evangelize the lost, but it's to edify each other. So we've already talked about it in our, in our testimony time. Okay, part of the, 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 the requirement, if you would, the, the calling for the church is when we come together is to provoke one another to love and good works. If, if there is no opportunity for the church to share testimonies, when is the opportunity to do that? I mean, the body of Christ is supposed to be intimate and interactive. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10. We see it in the book of Acts. And so one of the things is to encourage one another in the midst of our tribulations, our afflictions. It's really okay. Sometimes when we're afflicted, we almost feel dirty, don't we? We're unspiritual at that moment. It's like, it's, I mean, it's the friends of Job. I mean, was Job bad? Was that why God afflicted him? No, rather, he was being honorified. We talk about that when we play games at home. You know, when, when somebody does the bad thing to you, they put it on you because, you know, like the, the skip card when you're playing uh, phase 10 or whatever, uh, we, you're being honorified. I mean, why do they skip you? They don't like me. No, it's because you're winning. Okay? So they're honorifying you. Okay? Well, we, we kind of feel like, you know, when, when we go through these Job moments, that we've got to hide. The friends of Job's Tried to do what? Tell him that he was having this because he was in sin. Was he? No. Now the pressing, the pressing of the affliction did exude what in Job? 
What did it reveal in him? Pride. Come on, let's be honest about this, okay? Yeah, his bra, his pride bubbled to the top, okay? And that's what God came and, and, and nailed Job on. But then he turned to his friends, and he said to them, what? You better ask Job to pray for you and offer a sacrifice on your behalf, okay? Because they were so wrong. The reality of then is when, when those negative times come into our lives, it's not because, I mean, could it be judgment? Yes. That's between you and God to figure out. But it's not necessarily because of judgment. It's not because of we're bad. That's bad theology that has entered into the church. And so when God allows the affliction to come, it's in order for us to encourage others. Now think then, Church of Corinth. Think this day in the days of Rome. What was a reoccurring word that was used to, to translate this word affliction? It begins with P. Persecution. Yeah. And so what did, what did the believers in the Roman Empire suffer? Yeah, they were, they were lion's food. Okay? And, and, and other worse things, you know, becoming the light poles in Rome and stuff like that. And Paul's going to tell them, I know where you're at. Been there. Done that. Still doing it. But you know what? It gives me a platform, a foundation. You can do it. You just have to know what do you believe is on the other side. Consolation, if you would, encouragement, and what? What's the two things he talks about? This is the, why it gives me. I can come with encouragement and... What's the other word? It begins with an S. Salvation. Salvation. Now, we're not talking about eternal salvation. We've got to be careful. Every time we see the word salvation, we want to put in eternal salvation. The word soterion doesn't necessarily mean that it's eternal salvation. It means deliverance. I'm riding down the road. <clears throat> I have an accident. My car flips over. It's damaged badly. I can't get out the door. You know, gas is spilling out. You come down alongside. You see the accident. You run out. You come. You see it's me. You help me anyway. And, and so... <laughs> And so you rip open the door, Incredible Hulk, you get me out of my, my, my um, seatbelt, right? And you grab me and, and we dive into the ditch and the car goes, what did you just do? You saved me. I'm not going to go to heaven because of what you did. In a, mo- in, a, in a sense, at that moment, you were my savior, but you weren't my spiritual, eternal savior. Make sense? So be careful every time you see this word that you read in, an eternal perspective there, okay? But the reality is that in these afflictions, there is a deliverance. You have an opportunity to be saved, spared, delivered in the midst of the affliction. That's the encouragement that we offer one another. We come to one another to, to put courage and help deliver one another. That's what Galatians chapter 6 then talks about bearing one another's burdens. Final point then is the certainty then of the affliction. That if you note the drawing, then changed again to all colors. Because now in Christ, as I come through Christ, I begin to see afflictions from a different perspective. That joyful could be, 
John 16, 32-33, we read this earlier. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, is now come, that you will be scattered, each one to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will, it's a promise, we may not like it, but it is, you will have philipsis, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, bad translation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The word thoseo, Tharseo literally means to be strong or to take courage. In every place it is. It means to, to, to find strength, to, to find courage to do something. And so in the midst of the fact that you're going to have these afflictions, Jesus says, take courage, be strengthened. Why? Because I overcame the world. You're on the winning team. Now if you had told me before last night, that the, the Titans would, would beat the Ravens 28-12, to 12, I'd have thought you were nuts. But isn't it interesting, the Titans didn't believe that. Make sense? Or else they wouldn't have even played. Sometimes it looks like the opponent we're going to play, quote-unquote, is a whole lot more apt at the game, if you would, than I am. Sometimes the tribulations, the afflictions, the trials that I'm looking at seem pretty overwhelming. The odds are pretty stacked against me. But Jesus says, don't sweat it. Be strengthened. Be courage. Why? I've overcome the world. And so we mentioned earlier, Luke 9, 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, being his disciple is going to just naturally invoke affliction. He said elsewhere, look, if they persecuted me, what do you think they're going to do to you? They're going to do the same. Philippians 3, 8-10, probably one of my most favorite passages in all the world. Paul says, Yet indeed I count also all things but dung or rubbish lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, but that which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection, in the fellowship of His sufferings. Pathema, that's the same word, sufferings, as in chapter 1, 2 Corinthians, being conformed to His death. If you have a passion to really know God, to know Christ, then intricate to that is going to be suffering. I want to know the power. Stop. Period. Yeah? Isn't that where we go? And to know Him in a power is resurrection. That's not where Paul stopped. The writer of this epistle that we're going to be studying tells us, in a nutshell, why this was paramount to everything else. Because he wanted to know Christ. Everything, everything, everything in his life was but dung, was but rubbish. Literally, the word is that which the maggot is on. It's what it is compared to knowing Christ. 
if knowing Jesus isn't the most paramount thing in your life, you've got to find something. You've got to figure it out. And one of the chief ways that God brings us to that is through reflection. Having the fellowship, the koinonia, the oneness of the sufferings of Christ. Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, you will be my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Even in the face of afflictions, trials, tribulations, persecutions, troubles, any other one of those negative things you want to put in there. Because when you come to Jesus through the cross, it flips the whole world upside down. So, what is your view of trial, trouble, and affliction? Is God sovereign or limited in his affairs with mankind? To who or what are you looking for encouragement and strength during the afflictions of the life? But then are more importantly, are you willing? Are you willing to use the tribulations and trials which God has allowed you to suffer to be used by him as an instrument of ministry in the life of someone else? It may be evangelism, it may be edification. But are you willing to embrace them? And not look at them as, as negatives, but this is a positive that God has allowed for whatever reason. He could have prevented it. He could have prevented it. But he chose not to. And he has a reason. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are omnipotent, all-powerful, you are omniscient and all-knowing. Father, you know what I can bear and what I can't bear. And when you allow things through the sieve of your grace and mercy and love into my life, one of your chosen, it is for a purpose. Lord, help me <clears throat> to seek your encouragement, to hear your calling alongside to respond to it, that I might be used of you in the ministry to others. Lord, I pray that for this assembly as a whole, for each individual. Lord, we don't like afflictions. We don't want trials. We don't want tribulation. But I believe we want to magnify you. Lord, I know that in this world we will have those afflictions. So help us to be of good courage, to be of good cheer, knowing that you have overcome it. In Christ's name, amen.